Buenos dias, happy fiesta, last day of fiesta, yeah, 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 say welcome, welcome to your neighbor, give your neighbor a high five, do something like that, it's going to be awesome, I'm so excited that you're here this morning with us at Luminous Church, I'm, I'm really excited because this morning I have a special, I have a friend in town from Seattle, Washington, and he's actually relocated in the last year to Redding, California, and there he, um, he, he, he d works with an organization called Life Model Works. He's going to talk more about that. But I just want to talk about who this man is to me. So this man, when we started planting the church of four years ago, almost four years ago, I started these monthly phone calls with, with Nick Hermang. And he, he rebuked me. He encouraged me. He loved me. He told me how to love my wife better, how to love our kids better. You may not know this, but this was very fascinating how God used him. So our son was getting sick all the time, ear infection after ear infection. And, and we were on a coaching phone call. And I just said, man, my son keeps getting sick. It's pretty stressful. We're just, we're having a hard time. And he said, you know, maybe your son is allergic to gluten. Maybe he's allergic to wheat because the same thing was happening to our son, and we took, we took wheat or gluten out of his diet, and, um, and he actually quit getting sick. And come to find out, we took that out of Benson's diet, and he started getting a lot better. And anytime we'd reintroduce that, he would start having an allergic reaction. And so and that was just such a godsend in that moment when you're a parent and you're just trying to figure this out. How do I hush my baby because they're going crazy and I can't sleep and all that stuff? And um, he's a godsend to us. He is a father of four. He has four beautiful kids. He'll introduce his family in just a sec. But he's been in ministry for every nation campus ministry. He was a campus minister for 20 years, discipling college students. He was reached on the college campus. And God has done tremendous things in his life. Would you stand on your feet and help me welcome Pastor Nick Harang up here this morning with us? Okay. Oh, there we go. Let me start up. Okay, so my name is Nick. No, I think you heard that. Um, but uh, yeah, happy fiesta. What a great time for me to come and visit San Antonio. It's just been fun. I got to go down to the river walk and I got to just uh, take in a little bit of the fiesta spirit. It's been a blast to be here. Uh, somebody asked me if I've, if I've ever been to the Alamo and I was like, you know, I've been to San Antonio before, but I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember the Alamo. Sorry, bad joke, bad joke. No. <laughs> We did walk by the other night. It was closed. I might get a chance to see the inside today if it's open before I catch my flights. But this is a picture of my lovely family. Uh, my wife, Christy, was also in campus ministry at UC Berkeley, where she was discipled in every nation church in that area. I got saved at Oregon State University and uh, went into campus ministry, trained at the school in LA when it was there a long time ago. And um, that's where we met. And then I uh, our pastor, Pastor Bruce Fiddler and Carol Fiddler, that were the pastors of the church in Oregon, Corvallis, um, were called by God to start a brand new Every Nation Church in Seattle in 2001. And so he invited me, uh, I was still single at the time, to, to come to Seattle and help start a brand new campus ministry at the University of Washington. And so moved up there as a single guy, and all these girls started getting saved. And I'm like, how is this happening? I mean, there's outreach teams coming. It wasn't just me. It was outreach teams were coming. But everybody would leave, and I would be the guy on the ground. Like, Pastor Bruce and Carol hadn't even moved up yet because they were waiting for their kids to finish school in June. So I'm up there in February and March and April and May, and girls keep getting saved. So I'm like, okay, well, you've been saved two weeks. She just got saved yesterday. Let's go. All three of us meet at Starbucks, so this isn't weird. And we're going to go through the purple book. <laughs> and I'm like, this is weird. I am leading a bona fide women's ministry. Um, <laughs> not... 
not what I planned, you know, not good newsletter material from my MPD partners. Um, so that's when I started really praying for a wife. I'm like, God, you got to send a, a female campus worker up here to take care of these girls, or you got to hook a brother up with a wife because <laughs> I just need some help here. So Christy and I, we met each other at the school. We, we kicked up our friendship over email and phone calls and Every Nation Conference 2001 in L.A. I made my, made my move. That's how I did it. Let me show you. Do not do as I did. I just looked at her, talked a little bit about our friendship, what I sensed God was doing, and then I looked at her and I said, do you want a court? Do you want a court? And she's like, <laughs> and so we look back and we're like, that was the dorkiest, weirdest way to start a relationship. But here we are, 16 years later, here's the fruit of our marriage, and um, we've uh, had a great time in Seattle. Um, I'm an Every Nation guy, got saved through Every Nation, helped plan a campus ministry and church, as I mentioned. Um, I served as the associate pastor for the last 10 years after seven years of campus ministry. And, um, but right, it, something unique and unexpected happened to me last year. <clears throat> it was a little bit, uh, it was about a year and a half ago, I came across some ministry resources from a group called Life Model Works. And this is an advertisement, this is just me explaining my story. Um, and I'm a reader, I'm a learner, I'm you know, a pastor and a you know, teacher, and so uh, you know, I'm always learning from whatever sources I can. And so I find these great resources that integrate modern brain science with biblical truth to produce Christ-like character change inside of people's hearts and lives and families and communities. And like, this stuff is awesome. There's some missing pieces here that's really helping me in my pastoral ministry and my own personal growth and counseling and praying for people. And um, so I'm like, I love this stuff. So I go to one of their conferences and I have this weird thought I'd never had before because I've been an Every Nation guy for like 20 something years at this point. I have this weird thought, like, I wonder if I'm supposed to work with these guys someday. I'm like, eh, I don't know. Anyway, talked to the CEO and, um, of the ministry, and he's like, oh, that'd be great, you know, but we don't have any money, and even if we did have money, we have other funding priorities besides you, who we don't know. So thanks, but probably not. So that was February a year ago. April, I'm at their national conference, which last year was in Chicago, this year in San Antonio this weekend, and um, it's the offering time. And, you know, I'd already given some money at a previous conf conference, and I'm like, God, how do you want me to participate? What do you want me to give? And long, long backstory, can't go into now, but my wife and I had been talking, feeling after 16 years in a great church, great team, love the church, church loves me, I've got a place to minister and use my gifts and seeing fruit. Um, so it's kind of like, it ain't broke, so don't try to fix it. But just my wife and I feel like, I think our time in Seattle's done. Like, what, what, what does God have for us next? So a lot went into that, but I'm at this moment, and they're doing the offering for this ministry to extend the reach of the life model to help transform more people around the world with, uh, with the character change into to Christ's image. And, um, and I feel like God's saying, okay, give yourself, you know, kind of almost like step into the offering bucket, if you will. And uh, I'm like, whoa. And my wife and I had been talking, but I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I knew they couldn't pay me. I knew they couldn't minister uh, to me financially as I would minister with them. But I said, I will work for you for one year for free as a full-time volunteer. Now, don't try this at home, kids. You know, this was a God thing. Um, but God just led us to do it. And uh, I'd done MPD before and all this and that. And so far in this, God has covered, um, God has covered us. And every need we've had has been met. And through people, through the church back in Seattle, giving us a severance. And, and so it's been a great ride. And so I want to tell you a little bit about uh, some of the things I've learned from Life Model Works in this last year, because it, it's been rather surprising to me to see how, again, modern brain science gives us so much insight into what we already know in part from the scripture, but it, it, 
for me, it's unfolded whole new layers of meaning and understanding of how God designed us to work as his people. <clears throat> Life is about relationships, isn't it? Life is about relationships. We're called to love God with all of our heart. That's a relationship. There's rules and commandments and all that, but those are simply means to a healthy relationship with God. There's commands about how we treat one another. Those are rules that guide us, and this is what a loving relationship looks like. Do not steal your neighbor's car, says the Lord. Like, not loving when you do those kinds of things. It is loving when you serve one another, give to one another, forgive one another. So the rules are all there for one purpose, to foster healthy, loving relationships. Life is about relationships, but we need some wisdom on how to navigate those. So the scripture is full of guidelines and commands and principles to, to foster a growing relationship with God and people. But there's also relational skills that we need to have to make life work. And sometimes when they're missing and you don't know it, relationships can be very painful and very frustrating. Have you ever tried something you thought should work, but it didn't work the way you thought it should? So what do you do? Well, you just try harder. I think we have an example of that. <laughs> just try a little bit harder. Maybe this will work if I redouble my efforts. But what if what your heart is looking for and how you think you're going to get there aren't really going to connect? What if the way you're trying to meet those deep needs and designs by God of your life and of your soul and the way you're going about it is never going to get you there? Should you just keep doing more of the same? Or maybe there's another approach. So I want to talk about something today that I think is an often overlooked, but an essential ingredient to the Christian life. And that is, I want to talk to you about the power of joy. The power of joy. And joy is defined not, well, the way I've heard it defined in church um, is joy is kind of like a positive attitude in the midst of really stinky circumstances right? Like rejoice in the Lord, even though someone just broke into your house. Rejoice in the Lord, even though you flunked your test and you're not sure you're going to make it into the career you want. Rejoice in the Lord anyway. You know, have a good attitude anyway. Be joyful. You know, joy and happiness aren't the same. Joy is, you know, choosing to have a good attitude. Now, well, I would venture to say that I think that's hope and faith. Hope is, you know, it is bad right now, but I've got a living God who loves me and who's with me and who's going to pull me through this and it's going to get better. That's hope. Hope is future-oriented. It's like, it's bad now. I've got a good God. It's going to get better. That's hope, and that's faith. That's trusting God. That's not joy. Joy is a relational term. Joy means we are glad to be together. Joy means that I like you, and I'm glad to be with you, even in the midst of your issues. Jesus, it says in Hebrews, it says that Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. He's like, I love people so much. I want them in my family. I want to love and connect and be in relationship with people so badly, I'll die for it. For the joy, the relational connection that's potential, if, if I pay that price that they can't pay themselves, we can be together and be glad to be together. You know, this morning we worshiped. And let me just say, I'm, uh, we're, we, life models dispersed all over the country so I could live anywhere. And we knew we just called to put the ship out in the harbor and start sailing, see where God's going to take us. Bunch of reasons. Partially it's close to family, but um, partially it's sunny. And after 16 years in Seattle, quite truthfully, my wife was more than done. Um, and Reading gets 300 days of sun a year. Um, but we go to Bethel Reading because it's a great church and it's a different stream to drink in for a year while we're kind of figuring out where God's going to take us. Um, and as you may know, they're kind of known for their worship. 
But I want to say something that this morning, as I was here on the front row of the first service and second as well, and I'm worshiping, the thought crossed in my mind. I'm like, you know, Bethel doesn't have anything on what's going on right here, right now with this worship team. Can we just give this worship team a hand? I mean, don't get me wrong, Bethel's got an anointing and a calling to reach the nations with the songs they write and all that, but I just want to say, you guys have something special here. So really treasure that, really honor your servants and people that are making that happen behind the screen there and up on stage and everybody else. But worship, do you know what worship is? It kind of hit me this morning. I'm like, I had never thought of that before. Do you know what worship is? Worship is saying, God, I'm glad to be with you. I'm just, I enjoy you. I'm thankful for what you've done for me to bring us close together, to forgive my sins, to bring me into family. I delight in you. I'm enjoying you. You see, Life Model Works is kind of came out of this counseling movement where they saw all these street kids that were doing drugs and suicide and all this other bad stuff, and they're counseling them in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s in Southern California, and they saw some, some kids would get the best counseling, and they would just recover, and they would become normal, healthy, well-adjusted human beings. And some kids would get the same counseling, and they would just tank, and they would get worse or whatever. And so they, why? What's, what's the difference? It's the same counseling, different result. And so I can't go into all that they found, but part of what they found is they found, believe it or not, that people need to be a part of a multi-generational community of people that are glad to be with them. Hmm, imagine that. What if there was a world that had problems and the solution was a multi-generational community of people that are glad to be together with people who have issues, which is me and you and everybody else? What, what could we call that thing? Oh, the church! You have a jacked up family, and so you're drug addicted and suicidal and all these other things. Well, good news, no matter how good or bad your family was, naturally, which we needed to birth us and to feed us and change our diapers and teach us to tie our shoes and all that, and, and to be a family, there's so much value in family, but let's just face it, not all of us got a good one. Not all of us got one where we got our needs met. Not all of us got one where people were glad to be together with us and be joyful and loving toward us. God says, well, you know what? Whether you had a good or bad natural family, I've got... I've got another family you need too. You've got a natural family. I've got a spiritual family as well. And this spiritual family is going to be a people that love me and they're going to be called to love one another and to be a joyful community of people that are growing together in Christ. Amen? So Life Model Works, uh, there's a whole bunch of backstory. That was one of the ingredients. But they, they began to look at the brain science coming out of UCLA. And the brain science of the 90s, they call it the decade of the brain because they finally invented machinery that could look inside the brain and see what's happening in real time for the first time. Before they wanted to know how the brain worked, you kind of had to die and then they'd kind of crack open your head and look and like, oh, well maybe this connects to that, maybe this is how it works. Now we could hook up electrodes and things and see it on a screen like, oh look, when a person smiles at a baby, all this Pre, you know, all this stuff lights up in their brain and they, all these neurons begin to grow and develop. And they found that, wow, babies that have moms and dads and people around them that regularly interact with them in joyful ways, meaning smiles, voice tones, baby cries, let's meet that need. That's called a, a thing called secure attachment. It's like, you got a need, I'm here for you. Baby hasn't done anything to earn it or deserve it, but guess what baby gets is unconditional love. Hmm, where have we heard that again? That if you get unconditional love as a baby and, and people around you see your needs and begin to meet those needs, you begin to grow and flourish into a healthy human being. So that's a baby's job, receive unconditional love. As a Christian, guess what one of your key jobs is? Receive unconditional love. You will not become a healthy Christian without receiving unconditional love from God. 
and from people. So they find this, that this is what causes babies to grow. And so this, as far as I know, non-Christian UCLA scientist named Dr. Alan Shore, he says, he, he says, well, there's a word for that. I guess that word is joy. And joy means we're glad to be together. Joy means I'm the sparkle in somebody else's eye. It means that people look at me and they see something good in me that I'm not even so sure I see in myself, but okay, this feels really good. This feels great. And they said that babies' brains, especially in the eighth month of life, just begins to grow and expand at an exponential rate. They said it feels so good to a baby. They said the closest thing I can tell on scans is like shooting up heroin. No joke. Like heroin, the high, I've never done it, but the high that people chase after and are willing to ruin their lives for because it feels that good. That's what a baby feels in their eighth month of life when mom is smiling at them. They're like, Wah! and then they're like, tilt, 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 and they're kind of like, I, mean, I don't know if you've seen that, and you think, well, they don't have very good neck muscles. Well, that's part of it, but joy, your brain is actually designed to run on cycles of joy and rest, joy and quiet, we could say, or we could say joy and peace, joy and peace. And so if moms, if you have an eighth-month-old or thereabouts, you know, before three months, they kind of have that dead shark stare because their eyes are not fully connected yet and myelinated and all that. So after three months, they can begin to see faces and they can begin to discern, wow, there's a person behind those eyeballs. Wow, this is great. But around eight months, that's when the baby's brain is growing the fastest, all these neurons that are forming their human personality. And if, if uh, babies are, it's, joy is the only emotion that babies will seek out on their own. It's the only thing they'll seek out on their own. And so they'll look and they'll see, is there anybody there? Look at me. And then, because they have this attachment light, kind of this little part of their brain in level one, that lights up like, I want to connect with a person. It's just hardwired in by God. I want to connect with a person. My attachment light's on. And if mom sees that or dad sees that and starts smiling back, baby will smile. And what do you do when a baby smiles at you? You smile back. It doesn't matter if you're like, hey, bro, how you doing? And then you see, hey, baby, how you doing? You know, you do all sorts of goofy things you wouldn't do when you're like talking to a somebody else, but you'll do it with a baby because God designed you to amplify joy. And babies need that to grow. And guess what? We're all feeling good too. We've got a little neuron growth right as well. So joy is what forms the baby's brain and it, it can ward off depression. It can ward off all sorts of other mental health issues if a baby grows up in a home that has lots of joy, but they have to have the peace too. If mom's like, hey baby, look at me, and baby's smiling, then after just a couple of seconds of joy, they kind of start to peak in their capacity to handle the joy. It's like, you know, tickling's fun for about two seconds, and then it's like, back off, dude. Um, <laughs> if they need a little break, so they're like, oh. and that's actually their brain saying, okay, I've had enough for now, and sometimes one, two, three, four, five, six seconds, and they're like, is mom there? <gasps> mom's there, and if mom responds to baby's cues, bing, 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 the neurons begin to grow, and this human personality, a healthy one, is beginning to flourish inside this baby's brain. Now, I know some of you are wondering, I went to church and this guy's talking about smiling at babies. Where is this going to go? Um, well, I want to just mention that joy, again, this relational, glad-to-be-together experience, that is not just a nice add-on to being a human being or to being a Christian. It's actually central. And I don't have time to go into too much more brain science, and I don't have time to go into the over 200 verses in the Bible that talk about joy. But it's kind of a big deal. So we're going to look at a few verses now. We're going to look first at Jesus in Luke chapter 10, who was a joyful person. It says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy by the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father. Like, I can just see him, like, by the Spirit, just looking into his Father's eyes, so to speak, as he's in prayer. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden things from the wise and the learned, and you revealed them to little children. 
yes, Father, this is what you're pleased to do. The context here is that Jesus had just been training his disciples, and he just sent them out on their first mission trip to go make disciples, to cast out demons, to bring healing, to, to heal the sick, to feed the poor. And they came back and like, it worked, Jesus. The power of the Spirit was on us. We changed people's lives. We brought more people into the family. And Jesus is like, Father, it's working. I'm so glad to be with you. I'm glad to be with my disciples. And we're building a family of people that love you and love one another. And Jesus was filled with joy. In Psalm 16, David spoke about joy as a relational experience. Jesus, uh, David said this. He says, you make known to me the path of life. And when I'm in your presence, oh, I'm full of joy. It's like, Papa, I just love being with you. Because when I'm with you and I, I just feel your love, I feel your delight in me. I feel the joy that you have in me. Now, Galatians 5 talks about the works of the flesh and that, you know, you, you know, if you're living by the flesh, if you're in the world, you know, you can be drawn into all sorts of bad things that aren't who you are, you know, lust and, you know, drunkenness and factions and envy and anger and all this stuff. He goes, that's not who you are. He goes, you're a new creation in Christ, if I'm kind of paraphrasing. And he says, if you're new creation in Christ, if you're rooted and grounded in the love of God, if you're getting discipled in a local church, if you're abiding in the vine of Jesus Christ, you're going to bear much fruit. And what did he say the fruit of the Spirit's work in your life, the byproduct of the Holy Spirit having his way in greater and greater measure of your life is? The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. Number two, peace, patience, kindness. Now, I'm not going to argue with you and say joy is the most important thing. Love is obviously the most important thing. Love God, love people, love of God shed abroad in our hearts. God so loved the world, Jesus died. Love is the most important thing. But I don't know about you, but for most of my life, I've just kind of seen joy, peace, and all those other ones just kind of fly over country till I get to the end, which is self-control, because that's the hard one. So I got love, and I got self-control, and I need to be patient and all that. I just miss joy. It's kind of a big deal. But it's number two on the list. Not that these are necessarily all in order, but we'd all say love is number one, wouldn't we? So I'm just saying joy is a big deal. Joy is a big deal. Matter of fact, Romans 14, 17 Paul said this, he said, the kingdom of God isn't just a matter of eating and drinking and all this other stuff. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you see that joy is one-third of the kingdom of God? It's kind of a big deal. These are all relational terms, by the way. Righteousness, I'm in right relationship with God, I'm honoring Him, I'm seeking to follow Him, Jesus is Lord, I'm, I'm making mistakes, but I'm, I'm moving in the right direction following Jesus and right relationships with people. Peace, peace isn't merely a, a calm feeling on the inside, but peace is, the Hebrew word shalom, it means that everything fits together in the right way, in the right amount, at the right time to satisfy both God and people. You ever been around somebody who's sending up a storm and like, well, I got a peace about it, bro. It's like, they have a feeling that they're cool with it, but God's word isn't cool with it, and God's people, i.e. you and me and your small group, they're not cool with it. That's not peace. Peace is something that yeah, it bears witness in my spirit. I don't know. This doesn't make sense that God would lead me in this direction, but the word's cool with it. My, my community's cool with it. I talked to my small group leader. I think this is God's direction. I have a peace about it. Now, that's peace. Things fit together in a way that satisfies God and people. And then there's joy, and that means we are glad to be together. I just want to talk about this guy in the front row, Mr. Ben Chapman, your pastor here. How many of you guys, when you get around Ben, you just find yourself feeling a little bit better. And Brandy, too, because she's got the joy bug, too. It's, I mean, I was with him this morning, and he's like, okay, hey, we got to go get this, da-da-da-da-da, and just one of you, I don't remember which one, walks by, and he's like, hey, 
good to see you, man. How's it going? Hey, I like your overalls. Da, 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 da. And he's just like glad to be with that person, even though he's got the, all these other details on his mind. And I'm like, you know, I've seen him do that like all the time. Ben is a joyful guy. And part of you think this is a great church, not because of the laser light show and the fog machine up front, um, <laughs> but because the people are glad to be together and they make me feel like maybe there's a place for me here. Because you see, sometimes there's things about us that we're not very glad to be with ourselves. And part of the reason I'm a Christian today is because I went to this, to me at the time, weird little church right off of campus, called, it wasn't at the time, but it was an every nation church. And I grew up in a very small town, a very kind of stodgy, kind of frozen, chosen, like Singham, kind of, you know, religious is respectful. And I go into this church, everybody's raising their hands. I'm like, why does everybody have so many questions? What's going on here? And, um, <laughs> And everybody just like got all this smiles on and literally I was judging them. I'm like, that's fake. These guys are fakers. And I thought they were weird and I thought I was normal. Isn't that how it is though? You know, you think everybody else is weird and you're normal. It's like, ask like five people like for honest feedback and see if that's true. But, <laughs> but I was weird. I was super introverted uh, and I'm an introvert. I can't wait to get on a plane and like read a book because I've been around people for four days straight um, in a conference. But um, I, I was super introverted painfully shy, melancholy, depressed, um, you know, just, I mean, part of it is I didn't have Jesus, but, but, but there's some people that don't have Jesus, and they aren't that way, because they have some joyful relationships, quite frankly. Um, but part of the reason I'm a Christian is because I went, and, and the word was starting to grip my heart, and I was like, but those people are weird with all that, you know, clapping and singing, and there's a drum kit? This is like a rock concert. Where's the organ? <laughs> I just didn't get it. Um, and, but part of the reason why I'm a Christian is because I'd go to this place and everything in me, every emotion in me is saying, run. This place is weird. These people are nuts. Get out of here. And then I'd see James, big, six foot tall, 275 black man would come up to me and say, Nick, good to see you, man. And just, I would disappear into the <laughs> arms of love. And I was like, this feels so uncomfortable, but it feels so right. Because there was somebody that was glad to be with me when I wasn't glad to be with myself. I'm serious. There was somebody that saw some good in me when I didn't see much good in myself. And the love of God changes everything. But you cannot separate love from joy, can you? Have you ever been around somebody who says, I love you, brother, but here's what... I don't know if you call that love, but I don't. Honey, it's our anniversary. Here's a card. Here's some flowers. I love you. Can I sleep on your couch, please? <laughs> right? Love without joy, that's not the kind of love anybody wants. I was, you know, getting, I was buying into the vision. I was like, let's reach the nations. Let's make disciples. I got a purple book. I went through it. Somebody took me through it. And, and they were actually glad to be with me and joyful with me. But for some reason, I was kind of like into this performance trap of like, well, I need to prove myself. I need to, I need to you know, pastor wants us to make disciples and reach souls. So I need to find somebody. And then I find some innocent victim, and I'm like, let's go through the purple book. Let's do this. You need to be discipled. You need to be saved. You need to be, let's meet at six o'clock, and you better do your homework. And those kind of relationships never went very long. And I couldn't figure out, well, man, I'm not good at discipleship. Time goes by, and I'm getting more loved on and more joy from people, and freely we receive, freely we give. And, and I start, you know, my heart's changing. I'm like, I just want to love people. I want to help people grow in Christ. And then I'm like, hey, man, well, here's something I found helpful for me. Somebody helped me grow and learn. Da, da, da. Would you like to do that? And they're like, oh, man, good, great. And I just made it a point to be glad to be with them. I made it a point to make it about a relationship where I can help them with God. And that's the point rather than like 
Pastor, am I doing enough? Hey, Pastor, do you see? You know, do you see what I'm saying? That love and joy cannot be separated for very long. <clears throat> so you, what did we say? We said your brain, the, the fuel your brain is designed to run on is joy. That is the fuel. That's what, again, UCLA researchers say. The fuel your brain is designed to run on is joy. People being glad to be with you. But if we are designed to run on joy, but we don't have that fuel source available, what do we tend to do? Now, if you, say, had never been around a car before, and, you know, you saw somebody put some gas in it, and it worked, and then you drive it, and then it runs out of gas, and you're like, well, I saw them put this clear liquid in there. I'll just get some water with the hose and just, you know, I'm sure that'll work, right? Well, it's going to destroy the engine. And so that's what we do to ourselves. We just don't know that what we're wired for is unconditional love and joy and, and all of that. And so what we do is we turn to joy substitutes. We turn to joy substitutes. I think we have a slide for that. We call this beeps. That's the acrostic, beeps. We turn to behaviors, events, got experiences. I got to jump out of an airplane, go to the next concert, go to the next coffee shop, swipe, 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 swipe. Um, people. And again, we said joy is relationship with people, but um, I'm talking about unhealthy <laughs> aspects of our relationships with people and substances. Matter of fact, this attachment center in your brain is kind of level one right on the top of your brain stem, your basal ganglia and thalamus and all that. That's the part of you that wants to connect with people. That's the part of the baby that's looking around, and that's the part of people that's looking for love in all the wrong places, and that's the, when you're at the airport and you see 300 people walking around, and then you see your friend that's there to pick you up, that's your attachment center. That's what lights up. <clears throat> that's the thing that, when they started doing the, the, the brain scans and stuff with addiction, that's the same thing that drug addiction feeds. That's the same thing that the third bowl of ice cream feeds. That's the same thing that a little dopamine hit on Facebook, like, oh, look, there's that. Oh, look, there's that. Look, I got another like on my thing. I got another comment. It's that attachment center that's, I'm looking for a relational connection, but if I don't have it in relationship, I'm going to do it in a non-relational way or an unhealthy relational way. So that's beeps. That's where we all go. And those cravings, it's, it's subconscious. It's not like, what I really need is relational connection, but I think I'm going to go for ice cream. It's, it's not like we know that. It's just like, I need something, I'm bored, I'm lonely, I'm hurting, I'm whatever, and we medicate that with something, and the answer is a relationship. The answer is relationship. Now, sometimes human relationships aren't ready at the demand, or, you know, hard marriage right now, or bad work environment, or tough school, or we're going to talk about what do we do when people aren't the answer, because let me just say this. Some of us are going to come into a place like this and like, wow, it's a loving church community. It's great, but they're not loving me enough. Yeah, they, they were glad to be with me last week, but Ben walked by me without smiling and saying he was glad to be with me like that Pastor Nick guy said he was supposed to. So peace out. I'm done. <laughs> and let me just say that that's, that's not healthy because you don't want to put the burden for filling that joy-shaped hole in your heart exclusively on a person or a group of people because people are going to fail. People are going to let you down, even in marriage. If you put that burden on your spouse, well, you're always supposed to be glad with me. You're always supposed to love. You're always supposed to want to connect when I don't connect. You know, you're going to destroy that marriage because you're looking for a person or a group of people to do something that ultimately only God is qualified to do at that level. We need people. We need God. But only God is the one who is always glad to be with us, never going to leave us or forsake us, always ever-present help in time of trouble. Only God is the one who can meet our needs at that level. So we're going to give into a little exercise on how to do that in a moment. But first, I want to do something that might seem a little strange, 
a little odd, but you need to learn about joy, not just with your left brain kind of file cabinet, as we call it, but with your right brain, experiential brain. So I want to ask Ben to come up for just a quick second, and I want him to demonstrate what I want you guys to do in a moment when I ask you to. But part of joy building, again, is just being glad to be with people. It's being warm. It's smiling. It's really ironic that I'm the guy up here talking to you because, remember, when I was 19, I could, I could barely smile, right? I mean, I, I could barely stand to be around people, but God has changed my life because of Christ, because of the church, because of discipleship, and he's just continuing to make me into a more joyful person, not because that's my personality type, but because I'm a Christian and the joy and the love of God are changing me. So in a moment, I'm going to want you just to find one person or two if you're in a triad and just say, Ben, I'm glad to be with you this morning. And then give them a chance to pause, give them a chance to do the same. Nathan, glad to be with you. Thanks, man. Good man. Thanks. And that was a little awkward, right? That was like, oh, okay. You know, um, and you don't have to do that if it's beyond your comfort zone this morning. I'm not going to push you. You know, feel free to opt out. But at this time, would you please stand up, find one person, maybe two, just look them in the eye, smile, say their name if you can, and say you're glad to be with them. <laughs> All right, I said one person. You guys act like you love each other or something. All right, go ahead and grab a seat when you're ready. But seriously, you, you have no idea how God might use you. I, I'm just thinking now as I'm preparing for this message, like, you know, I don't know his last name, but I got to find James. I got to track down James from 25 years ago and tell him, you never preached a sermon you never led a Bible study on campus that I know of. You never, I don't know if he went on mission. I don't know what he did, but I know he welcomed me with joy. A bunch of Sundays, and this kid that wanted to run said, maybe I'll come back because I think these guys have something that I need, even though I feel really weird here, um, and now I, I is one of them. So second exercise I want to do quickly before we close is this, and that is, as I said, we're designed for, we need God and people. Sometimes we sing songs, and I sing it too. It's like, you're all I need, Lord. But we read in the Bible, and God says, yeah, you need me more than anything, and you do need my people. That Christianity is not a solo adventure. It is a family adventure, and we need one another, but we need God more than anything. We need God more than anything, and if you have great human relationships without a deepening relationship with God, you're still not going to be satisfied. And people will let you down. Wife will, husband will, kids will, church will, but there's someone who never, ever will let you down. And so my encouragement to you would be, ask God to help you just stretch a little beyond your comfort zone, continue to be a joy spreader at church, at your workplace. I'm just learning this stuff, Ben. So the other day we're down at the Riverwalk, we're having dinner and it's just crazy down there and it's busy and we're asking the hostess and she's just no joy. So, you know, and in the past I'd kind of judge like, ooh, she got issues. I was like, no, I realize now she's low joy. I don't know anything about her. She's low joy now. So we asked her like, hey, how's it going? Oh, busy, da, da, da. It's like, hey, do you get any of the tips? She goes, well, we're supposed to get a commission off the night sales, but it could be a night like this where it's crazy busy and I get $2. I'm like, that's wrong. They robbing you, girl. So, no, just kidding. <laughs> so we sit down, me and my friend Michael, we're having dinner and we're talking about it. And, and, and I'm kind of a unemployed right now in a sense because I'm working for a life model. I'm not getting paid as a volunteer. But I just feel like God was like just tapping on my heart, like go spread some joy. So I just took out $5 and I just walked up and was like, hey, what's your name? She's like, Danielle. I said, Danielle. 
I just want to say thank you for working hard. Thank you for making this happen. And I hope you get a big cut tonight. But if you don't, I want you to have a little something just from me. I've, I've never done that before. Giving money to like a host. I'm like, I don't even like to tip, man. I do it. I just don't, I feel like it's wrong or something. <laughs> like I'm already paying this plus tax. I got a tip too. But I'm just saying that's not my personality. But, but I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to spread a little joy. And when I saw this joy light, I saw this smile. I saw her when we left. I gave her a high five. She was smiling. I was like, joy, it's contagious if you spread it. And there's one who always wants to impart that level of joy to you, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, another name for Jesus is Emmanuel. It means God is with us. He's always glad to be with us. Even in your sin, which he doesn't like to sin, he still loves you. When my kids bite each other, I'm like, we don't bite each other, children. Time out, no, off, no. Not glad about the sin, but I love them, and I'm always glad that they're my kids. God a million times more towards us, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out a card from the seat in front of you or behind you, grab up any sort of piece of paper, but the cards are handy, hopefully, a card and a pen. We're gonna take the last minute to wrap up with one simple exercise, and that is, we're gonna ask Jesus a question. We're gonna say, Jesus, what is something about me that makes you smile? And just hold on a second, um, but I'm just gonna ask you when, when I stop talking in a second to just write the first things that come to mind you don't have to filter. You don't have to analyze. You can test it by the word later. Um, but John 10, 10, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. He expects that we can hear him. We can be led by the spirit. So we're going to ask him a question. And because we're asking him a question, we're going to expect him to bring some thoughts to mind. Might sound like us, might sound like him, but we're connected to him. So that's okay. Write it down. I'll give it about 30 seconds right now. thing I'd like you to do, and if, again, if you need to opt out for any reason, that's okay. Don't want anybody to feel pressure, but I want you to, in a moment, turn to one other person and simply read what you wrote down. Don't explain it. I was like, well, you know, when I was five years old, this happened. This is why I'm writing. No, they don't have to understand. This isn't for their benefit, ultimately. It's for yours, because when you hear from God and you're journaling or whatever, and then you speak it out of your mouth to another person, it takes it from a one-sided brain to a whole brain experience you will actually have it affect you more deeply when you share it because God designed us for a community. So just one person read, one person read, and we're done. So turn to one another and just read, if you're willing, what you wrote with no commentary. did this last service with my friend on the front row both of us were almost in tears as after we read it because again it activates both sides of your brain it it makes it a relational experience rather than just a logical experience sometimes you know about God and then you know 
about God. So there's one app that, um, it's not with Life Model, it's not with Every Nation, it's just a free app called Questions for Jesus. You can find it for free on the iTunes or Play Store, Questions for Jesus. I would encourage you, look to Jesus. This is just one simple way, but it's a way to, to interact with God, ask God questions, listen, write down, share it with a friend. And as you do that, you're going to hear the heart of God for you more and more and more. You're going to hear his delight in you. Like, God, how do you feel about that? Last night I had three bowls of ice cream. Or worse, I looked at something I shouldn't have because I was looking for a relationship in a non-relational way. And I know it was wrong, and I've done it 50 million times. You must be disgusted with me. But when you go and talk to your father about what he feels about you, you'll find that even in your darkest hour, even in your umpteenth failure, he's still glad to be with you because he sees something special in you. He sees something good in you. He sees his son in you, and he goes, that's not who you are. That's what you did, but I paid for that. Let's take care of that with repentance and confession, and let's draw you close to me because I'm the one that is going to fill your joy tank and your love tank, and I'm the one that's going to draw you close to me so you can shine my light to the world. Father, I thank you for this great church family. Lord, I thank you for the joy that's already here. Lord, I thank you, God, that you have called your people to be a place, Lord, of righteousness, of peace, and of joy in the Holy Spirit. So I speak that over Luminous. Thank you for Ben and Brandy and their leadership here. Thank you for all those serving, all those attending. God, those that are new here, Lord, let them find a place of connection and of relationship and of growing in the knowledge of God's love through your people. In Jesus' name, amen.